The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. All right, let's uh, jump into Genesis 50. We're going to finish the story, so let me give you uh, a little update on what has happened. So uh, when we leave when we, we leave from where we were this morning, where Spencer had us uh, in looking at and considering the life of Jacob, Joseph's dad. Um, it was a cool, I really enjoyed that sermon this morning. I enjoyed it so much. Um, but Jacob dies. We get to the point in the story where Jacob dies. And, and Jacob dies 17 years after the reunification. So the family is reunified. And then 17 years later, um, Jacob dies. So it's kind, of, it's kind of cool. 17 years that Joseph was at home with his dad. Then he was, you know, imprisoned for roughly 17 years. Isn't that crazy? And then 17 years in reunification with his dad, and his dad dies. And so his dad passes away, and so now the whole family, remember 20 years prior to this, 17 years prior to this, he moves the whole family into, into Egypt. And we saw this morning how he gave them just this massive swath of land. So um, that's where we'll pick the story up. So chapter 50, let's pick it up in, in uh, verse 15. And what I want to do, we're going to focus on verses 19 and 20. But I want to give you a really important theological thought, a really important thought for the Christian disciple. I think there's a lesson we can learn in verses 15 through 18. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bowed down before him, and said, We are your slaves. So it's a, it's a very emotional, that's an emotional scene right there. What's happened is dad died, and so the brothers send messengers. Now, keep in mind, they, they lived not right beside Joseph. They lived pretty, pretty far because everything was like foot travel, you know, or donkey or camel or whatever. And so they live pretty far out, and so they send a message to Joseph, and they say, um, hey, our dad's dead, and he wanted to make sure that you knew not to take revenge on us. But they're making the story up. They're making the story up. And I think there's an important lesson that I want to just tap into right here, and it's this. I think it's a natural human tendency to think that at some point – your guilt is going to catch up with you and you're going to have to pay for your sin. But if we're truly saved by what Jesus has done, then there's no condemnation, no guilt, and no shame associated with our sin. But there's a fine line, and I want to talk about this. Um, There's a fine line where sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our actions. And so the brothers are living with the consequences of their actions, but they're letting that sort of control their joy. And so they're saying basically, well, 17 years, yeah, it's been a great ride, but now our dad's gone. The only reason Joseph's been nice to us is because our dad was alive. And it breaks Joseph's heart. Like he starts crying. 
He starts just ball. He's just like bawling, man. He's just crying so hard. And he's like, I can't believe you guys think this. Like, 17 years have I not proven my love to you? And I, I just there's a there's a verse in Romans chapter eight, verse one. It goes like this: There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What that means is, in Christ, condemnation and judgment is removed. We're set free from our sin. May live with consequences. May live with the, with, with the remnants of your actions, but you can live with the consequences in freedom and grace and strength. And the reason is, he continues in Romans 8, he continues and explains it. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For, what God, for God has done what the law could not do by sending in his, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that, so that, and I want to paraphrase the rest of the passage, you can be set free. In other words, Jesus entered into humanity and, and died for our sins so that even if we have to live with the consequences of past actions, maybe we live with the, the the weight of our sin, we do not have to live with the fear of, well, someday God's going to come back around and decide to make me pay for my sin. Y'all, Jesus pays for your sin. It's paid for. You remember that moment where he's hanging on a cross and he says, tetelestai. Remember that? Tetelestai. That means it is finished. But it doesn't just mean it is finished. It means it is brought to completion. It doesn't just mean completion. It means it is brought to perfect completion or perfection that means the gospel of jesus applied to your life provides a perfect freeing salvation you're free this is what the brothers were struggling to understand i just i think it's important to, to put that in front of us because i think a lot of people struggle to understand this wrestle with this struggles I've, i wrestle with it, especially the first probably 10 years i was a christian i had these fears of things i had done before i got saved things i'd done before i gave my life to christ like i know at some point i'm going to pay for that no you don't that's the whole thing like you're free and if you do have to deal with consequences from your previous actions the lord will give you the strength and grace to deal with that and so joseph is just bawling man he's crying so hard he's like it breaks his heart and he says what i think is like one of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible. And this is as far as we'll go. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I'll take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's a really beautiful moment. He, it's powerful. He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I want to break all of this down in the simplest way. First, I want to go, I want to break it down and we'll give you three thoughts tonight. But I want to go back to the Monday night definition of the sovereignty of God. Because now we've come full circle. What Joseph is saying is, hey, this has been a crazy ride. This has been a wild, crazy life that I've lived. But I can look back now and I can know that the Lord is in control, God is sovereign, even when bad things were happening. This is hard to wrap our brain around. It's hard to wrap your brain around, where's God when bad things happen? And I, but the longer you live and walk with God, the more you'll be able to look back and go, okay, I see where God was walking through that with me. This, the thing that makes this click for me personally at this age in my life is I can look back at, there's a lot of dysfunction and disintegration of relationships in my, per, in my family. And I can look back, okay, I can look back, like my parents divorced, 
And my mom married my stepdad after I was an adult. But he was divorced from, from his previous wife because she fell into drug addiction. And she was raising her niece and nephew because their father had murdered their mother. And so my stepdad takes custody of his niece and nephew. They're not his blood kin. It's by marriage. Y'all tracking? And then him and my mom raised them as their own children. Well, that little girl who was four when her dad killed her mom, that's, her name's Raquel. That's Rocky. That's my sister who's married to Zach, our worship pastor. And I look at the story of their life, and I see how God took this crazy broken thing, and he put together out of all of our lives, he put together a really beautiful picture. I mean, Zach and Rocky have four amazing kids. Um, I would not, my, my kids have the most amazing granddad, even though he's not biologically related, which my family's so unbiologically connected. I love it. It's like, that's what God does. You know, like, that's the way the body of Christ works. And so God takes brokenness and he sinks lives up. My, and I, I could, I wouldn't do it here tonight, but I could draw that circle even into my immediate family and trauma and brokenness and death have been spun into this beautiful picture of life and love and family. So, but you have to live long enough to look back and see the sovereignty of God in a situation. But when you're, when you're in the middle of a situation, the temptation is to go, God has abandoned me. The evil is greater than the good. If God is so good, why is this terrible thing happening? Just God is working, but his timeline is not the same as ours. Joseph's telling us that. He's like, you guys meant... You meant to sell me as a slave and be done with it, make some money, and you just, and the only motivation in that was evil. God took that evil and he made it good. The only thing you could say about Rocky's biological father murdering her biological mother is that it was evil. And God made a story out of it. And it's beautiful. And so I, the, the definition that we gave on Monday night is this. God's sovereignty means his lordship. It means he has control, authority, and covenantal presence. Control, authority, and covenantal presence. Lordship means he's in a position of authority. So he's control. But So then that covenantal presence piece is important. We talked about this Monday night, but it's important now that we've come through the story to look back at it. What it means is God's covenantal presence is that he goes with us through the difficulty. I believe, I personally believe that when my sister's biological father was murdering her mother in the room right next to her, that the presence of the Lord was there with that little four-year-old girl. And that then he carried her through the difficulty of the next 24 hours and what that looked like because it's a crazy story. When you go through something difficult, if you're a child of God, the covenantal, in other words, the promised presence of God is with you. You're not going through that by yourself, man. If you're not, if you reject Jesus, then yeah, you're on your own. You're on your own. And a lot of people choose that path. But I will tell you this, I've gone through things in my, in my life that I could not have made it through without the presence of God, without the hand of God, without the guidance of God. When I was in the fourth grade, my older brother stuck a 12-gauge shotgun to his throat and pulled the trigger in our driveway, blew half of his face off, and he survived. I'll never forget it. It was the night that the University of North Carolina was playing Georgetown. Michael Jordan hit the game-winning shot. I was in fourth grade. It was 1981. And I remember we were, we were at my Uncle Mike's house, and we get a call. 
And we go over there, and he's in the driveway, and he survived. He was maimed for life. And then he went off the deep end three years later. I've never seen him since. I don't know where he's at. Crazy. But you know what? God has not relinquished control of his creation. And there's one thing that I've learned is that some stories don't end with answers in this life. Some stories, you don't get to like come to the end of it and go, oh, it all makes sense now. No, sometimes it don't. Sometimes it don't make sense. But God promises us, this is where his sovereignty becomes a comfort when we don't understand something. He promises his covenantal presence. He's going to be with you through that. He's not going to leave you. He's going to walk with you through that. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to abandon you. So I think that's really powerful. Joseph, like, imagine, go back through the video, the scene, when he's being pitched into the pit. God goes right in the pit with him. When he's walking on that slave train, God's with him. When he's in Potiphar's house, God's with him. When he's in prison, presence of God, always with him. So let me give you three. I want to give you three things um, when, when it comes to the sovereignty and the purposes of God. Let me give you three thoughts. From verses 19 and 20. Number one, God is sovereign in his prerogatives. God has the power and goodness to forgive and or repay sins. That is how you spell prerogatives. There's an R after the P. Let's proud of myself for getting that right. Autocorrect. What does that mean? God is sovereign in his prerogatives. It means God, God will save some people, but some people will not be saved. They will fall under judgment and give an account for their own sin. Some people will come under the blood of Jesus and Christ takes our punishment and sets us free. And so there's no condemnation, Romans 8.1, the verse we said earlier. God's sovereign in that. I don't understand. I understand. But I can tell you this, that when you study the book of Ecclesiastes, there's this, there's this wrestling match with the idea of why does it seem like bad people prevail, bad situations seem to be larger in number and more prevalent than good situations. Why does it seem like that? And the writer of Ecclesiastes is like, man, it seems like people do good and they die young. People are evil and they prosper. And he's wrestling, he's wrestling with all these thoughts. He's struggling with it. And then he goes, here's what I know to be true. In the end, the Lord is going to make all things right. He's going to judge all things. He's going to repay all evil and injustice. And for those of us that are in Christ, it's already been repaid. You've been set free from that. You don't pay for your own. So God is sovereign in his prerogatives. Number two. God is sovereign in his purposes. God is sovereign in his purposes. God works through people who are obedient, but sometimes he works in spite of people who are evil. I'll tell you the perfect, greatest example of this truth, that God will work through people that are obedient, and he'll work through people who are disobedient and evil, and he'll bring about a great purpose out of it all. The gospel, Jesus going to the cross. There were evil people. In, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, according to the plan of God, sinful men put Jesus to death, and they're going to pay for that. They're going to give an account for that. Yet, it was God's plan that Jesus would go to the cross and die. So there's a mystery. 
we're not, this is not one of our four, but those of you that are like really into note taking and studying, all right, I haven't done this yet all summer. Here we are, week four. Sometimes I question my discretion. I ate two Pop-Tarts right before I came out here, so you just bear with me on this one. Uh, might I add, they were homemade Pop-Tarts. Let me tell you what we have. John Rouleau is one of the greatest people that has ever walked planet Earth. I believe that with all my heart. And his wife, Jenna, is an angel. And on Friday nights, he brings in some baked goods she makes, and he calls it Finish Strong Friday. And tonight it was homemade Pop-Tarts. Y'all, I ain't even heard of such as that. But I love Pop-Tarts. I love them so much. Y'all, I can eat so many Pop-Tarts at one time. And tonight I ate two homemade ones. And homemade Pop-Tarts are bigger than two normal Pop-Tarts. I'm just telling you this so that you can understand the way my brain is working under the influence of glucose spiking right now, okay? <laughs> Along with a lack of sleep and a large quantity of black coffee about an hour before the Pop-Tarts. All right, so <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say. Oh, theological point. Theological point. You, you don't, don't freak out and think, I don't understand what that means. I guess. Okay, there is a doctrine. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, there's a theological point that you're not going to hear this at any other camp, okay? It's called the perplexity of God. And it means that sometimes we just can't understand God because his ways are so much higher than our ways. And he's working according to a greater plan and purpose. uh, Paul writes it this way in Romans 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? And who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? And then from that question, Paul goes into worship. He says, from him, through him, to him be all things. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's like, uh, there's things I can't understand. You know what I'm going to do then? Just worship God. To God be the glory. That's called the perplexity of God. When we don't understand it, we like can't figure it out. Okay? That's not one of the four points, but I think that's important as you drill into this in your own faith journey. God is sovereign in his purposes. So God says, these men are held accountable for killing Jesus, but ultimately it's the plan of God. His purpose was that Christ would go to the cross, die in our place as a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. Some big Bible words there, but important for you to drill into. I don't have any problem giving you big, big Bible words because some of y'all have to do algebra at school. They expect you to learn that garbage. Don't get me started on that. All right, so people want us to dumb this stuff down for y'all. I, mean, I ain't going to do it, man. I'm going to dumb this down for y'all. You, God wants you to be in a relationship with him, and God's more complex than any human being that's ever lived, and we expect you to have deep relationships that are meaningful with each other. And people, why would we not want to drive deeper into a relationship with God? Third and final, God is sovereign in his plans. He's sovereign in his plans. And again, as we, in these three different ideas, when we think about sovereignty, what was the definition of sovereignty? Control, authority, and presence. So in God's plans, he has control over his plans. He has authority to do as he pleases, and he's with us in the midst of what he's doing. It's a very, very beautiful, powerful, strong, important biblical doctrine. Joseph is saying, you sold me into slavery with the most evil intentions. You planned and schemed and worked to bring about your goals and your ends, but God worked his plan even within the evil of your plan. And God's plan is good because it's a plan of salvation in life and in death. We wrap this up for the week and for this evening. We can know looking back that what Joseph knew looking forward that God has come to save us in all of the brokenness of the world and even the brokenness of your life. 
Know this, we have a Savior who is sovereign in His prerogatives, sovereign in His plans, sovereign in His purposes, and we can trust what He is doing and that He is working all things to bring about His good and His glory and our good and our sanctification. In other words, making us more like Jesus. He's working for our good in the story of Joseph and his brothers in the book of Jesus and ultimately the story of the gospel and redemptive history always reminds us of this great reality. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.